Chapter 16 of The Great Sinners of the Bible This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dorcas Oliver The Great Sinners of the Bible by Lewis Albert Banks A Captain with his foot on the neck of a king. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. Joshua X. 24 The five mountain kings, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, had all gathered their armies together to fight against the men of Gibeon, in the new territory which had been allotted to them in the land of Canaan. They were threatened with destruction by this powerful coalition, and sent a most urgent appeal to Joshua to come to their relief. He did so at once, and with his accustomed valor and dash brought about a great victory that scattered the enemy in confusion. In the midst of their overwhelming defeat, the five mountain kings of the Amorites, in order to save themselves from destruction, hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. Joshua would not stop for them at the time, but ordered some of the soldiers to roll great stones into the mouth of the cave, as though they were penning up a wolf run to earth, and so he let them wait until the battle was over. When the victory was won and the army had come back to Makeda, he ordered the cave to be opened, and the five kings to be brought out before him. The scene that was then enacted is one of the most dramatic in all history. Picture it for yourself. About are the victorious hosts, fresh from battle. Dragged out from the cave are the proud but humiliated and broken kings of the Amorites. They are led out before Joshua, and compelled to lie down upon the ground. Then Joshua called on all the captains which went with him to the battle, and commanded them, saying, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near, and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Afterward the kings were hanged on five trees, and their bodies were cast into the cave where they had hid themselves, and great stones were rolled back again to the cave's mouth. Thus, in selecting their hiding place, they had selected their tomb as well. Joshua has already spiritualized this picture for us. We cannot do better than follow his example. There are other kings that make war on the sons of God that ought to be treated in the same way that Joshua treated these. There are wicked habits, there are giant sins, the measure of whose power is so great that they may be well compared to kings. If we are to build up a good character and live in purity and peace, we must fight these kings of evil to the death. 
we shall never be safe until we have trampled them underfoot. The great trouble is that men parley with their sins when they ought to kill them. No Spanish diplomat was ever so dilatory or so wily in securing advantages through parley as are the giant sins that plead in our hearts to retain some sort of standing with us. I never shall forget an experience I had last Thanksgiving morning. I came to the church very early, but early as I was, I found waiting for me a young man who asked me at the door if I had such a thing as a temperance pledge that he could sign. I told him I could soon write one, and took him into my study. He was a young man of large and splendid physique, well-dressed, used excellent language, had a frank, open countenance, and gave every outward proof of being far above the average in ability and manliness. Yet he told me his story with sobs and tears. He had given way to strong drink. He had a good position as a traveling man for a commercial house, which he feared he would lose through drunkenness. He had gone out to a neighboring town a few days before, and though he had not drank for months until that day, he was persuaded to take a single glass of beer, and from that on had been drunk for a week, and had not even sought to do business. He was the only son of a widowed mother, that lived in a western city. It would break her heart if he should be broken down and destroyed. His cry was, What can I do? I have tried over and over again, said he, quit for weeks and even months at a time, and then I am swept off my feet like this in a moment, and all my good resolutions go down in debauch. I had another man come to me this week, who has had a somewhat similar experience. He, too, is a big, strong, broad-shouldered, fine-looking man. He inherited a taste for strong drink. He was hedged away from it in his early youth, but in opening manhood fell into the hands of his enemies. Sorrow and misfortune came to him, and for a time he gave himself up to it and tried to drown his troubles. How many a man has tried to drown his troubles in strong drink, but has succeeded only in drowning himself, and taking his troubles augmented a thousandfold with him. After a while, however, conscience was aroused, and he was awakened to make a fight against the enemy. He vowed to himself that he would stop his evil way and dethrone this tyrannical king. But right here he made his great blunder. He was urged at this time to come out openly for Christ, to confess his sins, and to throw himself completely on the Lord's side as a soldier of Jesus Christ. But the devil whispered to him and said, You would better wait a year or two and see whether you are going to be able to keep these new resolutions which you have made. Many another man, said the tempter, has made the same kind of promises to himself and fallen back in a few weeks to be worse than ever. If you join the church, let everybody know your determination, and then should get to drinking again, you would bring shame and disgrace, not only on yourself, but on the church. 
stay out until you are sure you can stand. Now that sounds very plausible, and the devil has ruined thousands of men and women with that specious philosophy. Well, this young man I am telling you about, who came to see me this week, took the devil's advice instead of the preacher's, and went on trying to fight his own battles. He succeeded in keeping sober for several months, but finally, in an unguarded hour, he went down, and a two-weeks debauch followed. Shamed and humiliated, he came trembling back to himself, like the prodigal among the husks of the swineherd, and tried again. This time he only went about three months, and down again he went into the mire and filth, trodden underfoot by his sin. Then he came to me with his tale of sorrow and despair. I said to both these men what I have said to thousands of men, not only in public congregations, but singly, in heart-searching and sometimes heart-breaking conversations, that there was only one chance, and that was to cease parleying with the tyrant who had so shamed and disgraced them, and who held them in such cruel slavery, to trample him underfoot, hang him to the death, bury him out of sight with the stones of God's promises piled against his tomb forever. If they follow that advice, they will be saved men, and there is a future for them, bright and glorious as the sons of God. If they reject it, they will die in the gutter and go down to a drunkard's hell. But that is not the only king that tyrannizes over enslaved souls and makes war on men who ought to be living as the sons of God. Sin is rebellion against God. It is refusal to keep God's law, refusal to give Him loving service, and whether it be ugly, loathsome, repulsive forms of sin, or clothed in fashionable garments made attractive and kingly as an angel of light, it is still the same hideous thing and works the same horrid results on the human soul. The skull and the crossbones are ever the only true badge for sin, for God's word is true that the wages of sin is death. The message which I wish to bring to you with all the power that I have is this. If you will fight against your sin, if you will make war against it, open, earnest, aggressive war, not war carried on in secret, but war that is avowed and declared to all the world, war waged with sharp sword to the very death, then you may be sure that you will soon run your enemy to the earth, and it will be hiding, like these kings of the Amorites, in the cave. If you are going to fight your sin, it is never wise to dally with it. Wisdom lies in being up and at it. Barney Barnato, the Kafir Diamond King, gave it as his opinion that he won his great financial success because of his aggressiveness. He said, If you are going to fight, always get in the first blow. If a man is going to hit you, 
hit him first, and say, If you try that, I'll hit you again. It is of no use for you to stand off and say, If you hit me, I'll hit you back. What was policy in the diamond merchant is high wisdom on the part of the man who is going to make war on a wicked habit or a sinful appetite that threatens his moral safety. Don't quarrel or hold debate with it. Stamp the neck underfoot and swing it to the first tree. Commit yourself openly before all the world as a man or woman at war with the devil. A lady, while giving the finishing touches to a table spread for a dinner party, heard the patter of naked feet upon the stairs. Surmising that her little daughter was probably bent on plundering the dessert, she hid herself behind the window curtains and watched the proceedings. The child in her nightdress came into the room, climbed up on a chair, helped herself deliberately to a fine peach, and went off with her booty. The mother felt very sad and began to consider how she should punish her little girl. Presently, she again heard the same patter of feet and hid herself as before. The child clambered into the chair, replaced the fruit, triumphantly ejaculating, "'That's one on you, Mr. Devil!' and trotted off to bed in peace. She had experienced the truth of the Apostle's declaration that if we resist the devil— he will flee from us. What some of you need is to be roused up to make war on your sin. You are not now fighting against it. Oh, I know what you would say. I am ashamed of my sin. There are hours in which I loathe it and abominate it more than you can imagine. There are times when if I could burn it out of my heart at the loss of a right arm or a right eye, I would not hesitate, and I have not really given up to it. I don't intend for a moment to die in my sins and give up to everlasting defeat. And yet, while you feel that way about it, you are going on ever and anon yielding to sin, bearing its unholy yoke, living with God's condemnation against sin hanging over your head, living so that if sudden death should come, you would be lost forever, living so that if you were suddenly cut off in your sins, they would banish you from the presence of God through all eternity. And yet, conscious of this, you do not rouse yourself to fight your sin, to trample it underfoot, and strangle it to death. When the men of Gibeon had to face these five kings of the Amorites, they called for Joshua because they knew he had wisdom and courage and strength and reinforcements enough to lead them to victory. A man who is fighting his sin must call on our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can help you to put your foot on the neck of all the evil kings that make war on your soul. He is a leader who never gets discouraged. 
There never was a greater thing said about Christ than that which was foretold of him by the prophet. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. And he never was discouraged. He came down to earth and tasted our grief and our sorrow, but no one ever found him once with the blues. He saw mankind at its worst. He saw their hypocrisies, their ingratitude, their selfishness. But he was not discouraged in them and went on, ever seeing the vision of the day when all the devils should be overthrown and destroyed. Not Peter's denial, not even Judas's treachery, could discourage Jesus Christ. Pilate could scourge him till from loss of blood he a little later fainted under his cross, but he could not discourage him. Nailed to the cross he suffered, he thirsted, he prayed, and died, but he was not discouraged. On Easter morning the angel descended from heaven and rolled away the stone from the mouth of the sepulchre. The Roman guard fled in terror, and the undiscouraged Christ came forth forevermore the victor over death and the grave. O oh, my dear friends, you who have fought single-handed against your evil passions, your sinful longing, your wicked habits, and have been defeated again and again until you have become discouraged and ready to give up, Call for help, I beg you, upon the Christ who has never yet been defeated or discouraged. When you come into touch with him, you will catch his spirit, you will breathe his courage, and acquire his habit of victory. It is said that on one occasion the Duke of Wellington, whom they called the Iron Duke, assigned to one of his veteran soldiers a very dangerous and difficult task. The man did not shrink from danger or duty, but his reply was, I go, sir, but first give me a grip of your conquering hand. O oh, my brother, my sister, discouraged and defeated by your sin, come, I beg you and enlist under the banner of Jesus Christ. Get a grip of his conquering hand. You will feel new life running through all your moral nature. It will electrify your will. It will arouse your love and gratitude. It will clothe you with the spirit of a conqueror. End of chapter 16.